The Bengals are five and two and atop the AFC conference after a gigantic win against the Baltimore Ravens. I would like to say that we saw it coming, but if you listen to our predictions last week, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that would be very truthful. But hey, we will take the start to the season for the Cincinnati Bengals almost at the midway point right now. And the Cincinnati Bengals are cruising. I'm Anthony Cazenza. This is the Orange and Black Insider, and I am joined by the brains behind the operation, John Sheeran. John. Man, that was a statement win, if I have ever seen one by the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, so much for uh, brains at the operation. I think a 17-23 was what I thought was going to go down. But it's always nice. It's nice to dunk on yourself after those games because everyone is in a good mood and everyone is just kind of vibing to it. But you know what? When they prove us wrong, we're more than happy to take that. Yeah, look, and and for the most part, that was a close game for the better part of two and a half quarters or so, and the Bengals just really kind of imposed their will. We will talk about the Baltimore Ravens game and the big win for the Bengals, what's ahead, what happened in the game, everything with that. And oh, by the way, a player you may have heard of, Jamar Chase, is exploding on on the scene. And with that, we've got both a stat of the week slash state your case, a couple of interesting things with that to cover with Jamar Chase. And of course, the Bengals have the Jets, J E T S, Jets, Jets, Jets coming up this next Sunday. That game has all kinds of headlines and not for the right reasons for the Jets. We'll talk about that and preview that before we get on out of here. If you are new to this program, first of all, this is a little earlier than usual. Then we, then we go live. So apologize for the time mix up. Just kind of had some personal stuff going on that caused the need for us to go a little earlier than usual, but happy to have you all with us, whether you're joining us live on our YouTube channel on Cincy jungles, Facebook page, or on one of the Twitter accounts associated with both of the programs. And of course you can get this program on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the major audio platforms. And of course our YouTube channel, so you can go ahead and click that subscribe button and click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available on YouTube. Of course, being part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network, we are part of a great group of shows, including Coach Speak and Chalk Talk by Matt Minnick. And of course, Orange is the New Black by Ace and Zim. Well, John, where do we want to start with this one, man? Um, it's, it's hard to believe the national love that the Bengals are seeing this first half of the week here after this one, but deservedly so. It took a game like this to really get here, honestly. It's one thing to beat the Steelers on the road when the Steelers are clearly not the Steelers of the old. It's one thing to go punch for punch with the Green Bay Packers, but end up kind of being a meme for all the missed field goals. It's another thing to stroll into Baltimore, a place that they haven't won in a while, against a team that they haven't beat since 2018. Ravens are coming off of a dominating win against the Los Angeles Chargers, who are everyone's favorite team right now, or at least they were last week before they lost that game. And then to do that, it's, it's precisely what they need to earn the validation that they are now getting. The validation of them buying into and promoting the overall process and the culture that they're spouting as to be true and as to be effective. It, it doesn't 
gain validation until we see results like this. Not just a win, a dominating win. The Ravens throwing the entire kitchen sink and everything else at them and just not flinching. I think there were a couple crucial moments in this game. I want to know your thoughts on this as well. But just Mm -hmm. the fact that the Ravens kept this pretty close for the better part of about 40 or so game minutes. And then the Bengals just did not stop. They were unrelenting. And that was just not the case in years past with more, even more talented Bengals teams under like Marvin Lewis and whatnot, where they would be, they would have good games against good opponents, but they would let them back in. And then the games would get interesting. And then ultimately the, the true character of those teams would, would unveil themselves in the form of either just barely squeaking by or blowing those games entirely. And that's what happened in the first two years of the Zach Taylor era where they couldn't finish games and whatnot. And they kept losing in close fashion, but it was Joe Burrow talking to Jamar Chase right after the 82 yard touchdown on the sideline and said, Hey, that was fun. We need two more. What did they get? Two more. Defense also gave them two stops and fourth down as well. They did not stop. They they snapped the Ravens' neck before the, even the fourth quarter started. The Ravens had never pulled Lamar Jackson out of a game in a blowout loss. They did that week. They did on Sunday. It, it It's something that could not have been predicted, at least from my perspective, until I saw it. And by God, I saw it, and it's impossible to see anything else. Every time they needed a big play, whether it was to get back the lead, build upon a lead, or it was to put the game away and step on the throats. They got it. They made it. And they made some of the plays were in insanely dramatic fashion, whether it was two long touchdown passes to CJ Uzama, whether it was the insane play to Jamar Chase on a, on a slant route there, or the two big runs at the end of the game that were statement runs by both Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan and of course, like you said, sandwiched b- b- between those couple of those touchdown drives, the two nice stops by the defense there. Um, and, and you're just kind of seeing it's it's a really nice thing to see the vision kind of come together. And actually, we, it's been talked about for three years, right, since Zach Taylor got here, what they're trying to build, the guys they're trying to bring in, the guys they're keeping, all of that. It's been it's been talked about for three years and it's nice to see that vision come together and not just with Zach Taylor, not just with Joe Burrow and Jamar chase and things like that. It's also on the defense on the defensive line, quote unquote, lose guys that he has brought in and what he is able to do. And it just seems that uh, there is a confidence that I think part of it, a big part of it comes from Joe Burrow and who he is, what's in his DNA, what kind of leader he is. Another part of it, though, John, is in the rest of the guys, and I don't mean to say the rest of the guys, because, I mean, there's some really good players on this team, but the rest of the guys on their respective units, not only being confident in their own individual abilities, but being confident in the players around them to be able to do the right things and have these units working at high and efficient levels to be able to pull off these kinds of wins. It's trusting trusting your teammates and, and those in your own position group to do the right things and be in the right places. Um, and I, I just, it's it's really fun to watch. It's really fun to watch. I didn't think we would be at five and two at this point in the season, particularly with wins in Pittsburgh and Baltimore. And oh, by the way, by a total of plus 38 points in terms of margin. So 
I, I we're just seeing a lot of a lot of fun, maybe surprising things, but there's a lot of confidence and not cockiness, but there's a lot of confidence in this in this locker room and on this team. I'm really glad you brought up that that factoid of the 38 point point differential against the Steelers and Ravens. I looked it up. It's the first time in Bengals history that they've beaten both the Steelers and the Ravens by 14 points or more in the same wow. season. The last time, the first, the last time that they beat them by just two scores, there's like nine points or more, was in 2013. Like they've never, they've never dominated both teams in the same season, especially on the road in the same year. It's it's the biggest statement that they can possibly make. And I think it's a good point about just everyone kind of buying in and kind of feeding off of the confidence from the leaders. I look at just the beginning of the game. The offense was stalling out consistently. I mean, they were getting first downs, but they weren't finishing drives. I think both Zach Taylor and Sean Harbaugh punted from the 39 or 40 yard yeah. line and into the, the other's end zone or whatnot. And that continued into the second quarter. Like they were getting first downs here and there, but they weren't finishing drives. In the first play of like the second drive of the second quarter, Burrow throws a pass to T. Higgins. Uh, he takes a hit after the play from a veteran in the rivalry, Pernell McPhee, and the Ravens get uh, flagged for roughing the passer. And then like two plays later, maybe even that, that very next play, next play, the floodgates open. Yeah, it was the C.J. Uzoma touchdown, which I, I will say, I have the platform to this. And I just want to say this. It was a good block by Drew Sample, but come on. Like, Calais Campbell was literally right there. If he just... Just steps to the right. He is in Chopro's face. I just want to say that real quick about Drew Sample. I, I don't know, like, if, if it's that impressive of a block, but it, like, Clayus Campbell probably should have made that play. Regardless, great play by Burrow to look off of on Tate in the flat and to find Uzoma down the field. But things weren't exactly working. They weren't clicking on all cylinders. They were force feeding T. Higgins the ball because he had on paper a better matchup against a lesser cornerback in Anthony Averett. And I think mm-hmm. Higgins caught less than 50% of his passes and just didn't quite look to be on the same page as Joe Burrow for some of those deep balls. And then once the two-minute hits, of course, that's that's Jamar Chase's music. And then they went, just went back to him for like three times in that drive and got a field goal. It was even when things weren't working and even when the Ravens clawed their way back, Lamar Jackson played a decent game in this game. I know yeah. he, they only scored 17 points and he came out as the loser for the first time in this rivalry, but he played a really decent game. And a lot of that offense is predicated on him just being Superman. And he made some very good throws and he extended some plays out of the pocket. And that throw to Marquise Brown, the 39 yard touchdown to get the Ravens back into the game. Like that was the Ravens. That, that was their counterpunch. And in, in again, in, in the past, when the team doesn't have this type of leadership and this type of moxie that it, that it runs with, sometimes they fold and sometimes things don't work. Not this time. Even when adversity was knocking on the door against a team that deserved to be 5-1, and one, that deserved to be in the conversation of the AFC favorites, they, they knocked them out. They ran them out of their own building. I've never seen anything like it. There, there are so many other elements, too, that are playing it, not only to on-field execution, but also team chemistry and camaraderie and all kinds of different things. You look at that 82 yard touchdown by chase, check out the sideline and watch the guys on the sideline and what, I mean, I know we've dissected that play ad nauseum and rightfully so, because it was an awesome play, but I mean, go just go look at the guys on the sideline when he's cruising down the the field. I mean, there, there are guys sprinting on the sideline with him in celebration. There is a guy like CJ Uzama who had a tough deck of cards dealt to him last year. 
in terms of the injury. And all that guy is doing in a contract year is playing the best football of his career. And it's also due to Joe Burrow playing at an extremely high level and the, the myriad of weapons. And to your point, John, what's kind of scary is there is, you know, we haven't seen the best from T Higgins yet this year. We have not seen the best from Tyler Boyd yet this year. And this offensive line continues to grow and, and they show moderate improvement, marginal improvement in areas from week to week, but there are improvements. And I think there was what one sack on Burrow this week. So when, when you say that you're going to go into Baltimore and Burrow sacked one time and the Bengals only commit one turnover, you have a pretty good feeling they're going to win. Maybe not by not, maybe not by, you know, whatever, 24 points, but you have a pretty good feeling that the Bengals are going to come out on top of that. If that's what, what you had heard at the beginning of the game. You know who else we haven't seen the best of, especially in this game, Jesse Bates. Yep. I think he was pro football focuses or according to pro football, pro football focus, he was the second lowest graded defender in this game. But we have to talk about the defense here because going back to two years ago, you, it's very obvious that Lamar Jackson running over the Bengals 2019 defense, it left a unforgettable taste in Lou Anarumo's mouth and even Zach Taylor for that matter. And ever since then, it's been building a defense fit to stop Lamar Jackson. And again, Lamar Jackson played pretty decently, but even despite the good throws and whatnot, obviously it, he was capped. He, he was limited to what he could do. He was, The Ravens offense was limited from what, their usual standards are and they had a fantastic plan which we've seen glimpses of here and there in the past couple of years but the personnel was never matching up they never had the guys to fulfill the roles that they had outlined for them in a way that was so effective like this and it, it's it's ironic that even in compared to last year a quote-unquote down year for jesse bates he, he may not be making as many plays as he did last year when he was should have been an all pro, but the entire rest of the defense, it, it looks completely different. And in this game, man, like it, it was the perfect plan to stop Lamar Jackson from extending plays, getting outside of the pocket. Sometimes he's going to make some of those, those off platform throws to find Mark Andrews down the middle or, or down the field. And sometimes you just kind of kind of have to live with that. They gave up a, a few of those, but whenever Lamar Jackson had other opportunities to get outside to make plays with his legs or to just, try to find someone down the field with some of the route combinations. Everyone in coverage was just on point. Like Shadobi Wuzier was yep. targeted like 13 times. He gave up four receptions. Eli Apple had another great game. Mike Hilton had a great game. Akeem Davis Gaither should have forced two turnovers, but he dropped interception <laughs> and then didn't recover his own fumble in, in somehow way, shape or form. Logan Wilson played great. And my God, man, Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrickson yeah. and Larry Hogan, Joby forced like a combined, like 30 pressures. And most of them were impactful and they forced incompletions and they took down Lamar Jackson five times. You don't sag Lamar Jackson five times. It's impossible. You, you can't do it. You can't force him to throw out of bounds near the sideline. You just can't. You can't. It's impossible to contain Lamar Jackson. That's exactly what they did. They had the perfect plan, the perfect techniques of how to rush and retrace, which is what NFL philosophy coined the technique of how. They start their pass rushes out wide, and then they just have their eyes locked on Lamar. And whatever whatever he does in the pocket, in the pocket, they mirror those exact movements to always maintain contain. And that's how they finish some of those plays in the backfield. This is Lou Anarumo's statement game. This is his 
entire redemption. This is his statement of saying, I know what I'm doing. I just need the pieces to do it. Absolutely. And a very good showing by a team and, and really not, I mean, Hendrickson, you could say is sort of a household name, but really when you look across each, each level of the defense, there's not all pro after all pro after all pro, right? I mean, some, some people know who Trey Waynes is because he was a first round pick. He's not even on the field, right? Um, Jesse Bates is getting a lot of attention based on his, his past seasons here. And like you said, not playing his best football per pro football focus grades, et cetera. So, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the stuff where you go, you know, they're just putting it together and it is, it is an element of working as a team. And speaking of working as a team, this is from Lisa Moran, uh, who I had the pleasure of meeting in week one at Bengal Jim's tailgate. Good to, good to hear from you, Lisa, in the Cincy jungle chat here. How about how disciplined they're playing only one penalty? Now, I will say the refs were letting them play all day yeah. <laughs> on both sides of the ball. There are some things that could have been called, and they did not call much of anything. However, regardless, when you have one penalty, that's, that goes with the only one turnover, only one sack, only one penalty in Baltimore. That is usually an, an equation for a win. And I want to I want to talk about this, John, before we kind of transition maybe a little bit, but there is an element, we've talked about it for the past few weeks now, the element of what the Bengals are doing just before halftime, just after halftime, and the, the potential adjustments they make in, in the second half. Zach Taylor's predecessor, and, and really in the first year or two in Zach Taylor's tenure, the questions were, what, what adjustments is he making at halftime, yada, yada, yada. We know the criticisms were there for Marvin Lewis in that regard. Um, so again, the, the Bengals get 10 points between the two p- possessions right before halftime and the one they have coming out of halftime. They have 10, 10 accrued points this week, and then they just kept scoring and scoring and scoring. Got a couple of nice defensive stops as well. Uh, what, you know, are you believing that the Bengals are putting together a number of second half adjustments, or are they just kind of finding their groove? I before I, I let you answer, I'll just kind of point a couple of things that stuck out to me. Jonah Williams really stuck, struggled in that first half against Justin Houston. Much different story in the second half. Mark Andrews made a couple of nice catches early in the game. Nothing going on late. And that was their that, that was one of their big, big weapons there, right? Um, I, I don't know. I just look at things like that and you go, they they continued to make adjustments. Some people believe in second half adjustments. Some don't. I would love to get your thoughts, though. I just look at what they were trying to do offensively in the first half. They were trying to kickstart the running game and the Ravens were just having none of that. They were just identifying those run looks and just getting into those fits really quickly. And of course, what they were trying to do with Higgins. And I understand what, what the, what the overall plan was. They knew that Marlon Humphrey was going to follow chase for most of the game. And they knew what Humphrey was capable of. And they gave Higgins a lot of chances to produce under those circumstances. And I think they just got to a point where we, we have to we have to try our number one receiver. We have to see if he can win those matchups and win those routes. And once they kind of realized that, okay, this is just going to be another dominating chase game, they just kind of ran with that, you know. And also they got CJ's own involved too. Like the, there was that one um, Burrow audible out of a screen uh, at the 32-yard line and CJ's own goes wide open down the field and makes the guy miss, made two guys misses on, on both of his touchdowns, which was impressive. And then... 
yeah, just going away from the running game later in the game and then just kind of opening up the passing game and just not stopping to go to Jamar Chase because he was just cooking the best cornerback in the game or one of the best cornerbacks in the game. Mm-hmm. We, we, we make a lot about the second half adjustments. I don't know how real they are. I just think at this point, Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow know what they do best and they can identify mismatches and they can just identify when each other is hot. And I think Zach Taylor at this point has full confidence in that duo just producing regardless of the circumstances. There, there are things to be said about taking advantage of other mismatches in the game, but when something works, it works and it, it's hard to not feel confident in that duo just producing regardless of anything. We have talked, or at least I have talked a bit at length about the concern of some dry spells on offense, particularly early in games. But if you're going to get hot, might as well be in the second half. Uh, you know, I mean, that's and that's where the Bengals have largely thrived. I, I think I did some math there looking at, uh, I think it was 34 points in their last possession before halftime and 34 points in their first possession coming out of halftime. So in seven games, you're, you're getting almost five points a game there uh, in each of those possessions on average. And then, of course, you know, it, it's just I don't know. It's just your ability to be able to score like that at those two critical times in the game. It, it really flips the entire trajectory of the game, really. And it, and it forces teams to do things differently when you score on back to back possessions going in and out of halftime. I just can't. I mean, I. I can't just explain how much I feel like that is just a big, big factor into where this team is sitting right now. I think you also have to look at going into further context about how successful the offense is and how much it can get better. They, I believe, through seven weeks, are seventh in EPA per dropback. Um, if I go to arbysdon'tmatter.com. Yeah, so they're eighth in, in dropback EPA. So they're top 10 passing offense from an EPA perspective. But when you look at success rate, which is the percentage of how many of your plays are positive EPA, they're only like 12th. And I think this, there's an even bigger difference when you go to just adding in the running game. So what that tells me is that they are really good at generating explosive plays, but the consistency of generating positive plays on a per-play basis is not where the other top offenses are. And that, I think, is just a testament to being able to just rip off these explosive plays that just did not exist at all last year. And Mm -hmm. when they feel the need to do so, when they have that urgency towards the end of the second half or towards or towards the end of the first half and right after the right after halftime, when they want to get another point, when when they get another score on the board, when they want to turn it on, they can turn it on like no one else. And I, I think that is just a testament to why they are so on fire in some of the situations once they get the consistency and if they get the consistency factor with it there is not a defense that should scare them in any way shape or form i am very very curious to see you know if we talk about growth and potential and all of that not only for from a an overall team perspective but from an offensive perspective particularly when you have joe burrow quote unquote, just finishing a rookie season in terms of games accrued. You have a 21-year-old Jamar Chase, I believe a 22-year-old T. Higgins, and, uh, you know, uh, others on that offensive side of the ball that are on the on the young side. You know, we're, we're talking, like you said, um, defenses need to be put on notice for what this team, and Joe Mixon, for him being in the league, 
a handful of years. He's still in his mid-20s. So, I mean, there there is a lot of talent and a lot of young talent on this offensive side of the ball. And uh, it's – we mentioned earlier we haven't seen the best from Higgins and Boyd yet really this year, at least from what we've seen in years past. And it is it is kind of scary to think in a good way where where the growth could could be and what the trajectory is for this offense. So people have said that we haven't seen the Tyler Boyd game yet, but are we not counting the Jacksonville game? He had like 11 receptions for like 100 million yeah. yards in that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'll give I'll give Tyler Boyd that. Like we haven't seen the best of Tegans. That's that's for damn sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, I and and by by saying not the best, that's that's not me saying that they haven't played well. It's just we they haven't had the impact maybe that we saw in games last year and uh, the for in Boyd's case the year or two prior. So uh, you know, and, and each is going to get their due, and it hasn't really mattered that much because Chase continues to ball out game in and game out. And that's where we're going to go in just a second here with our stat of the week and state your case is, is Jamar Chase. We'll tie a ribbon on the Baltimore Ravens game, though. An impressive win for the Cincinnati Bengals. They now sit on top of the AFC in terms of the playoff picture, a little less than halfway through the season. And uh, John just an impressive, impressive win in a lot of different regards for the Bengals. We've said this before, like the Steelers game that felt different because we've never seen that before, but there are differences between beating good teams and bad teams on the road, regardless of the history. Like we keep, we keep saying this, we keep, we keep finding new ways to say the statement of I've never seen a game like this before from them. I, I, I don't know what it's like to cover a winning team. And I feel like we're all just kind of BSing this as we go along because there's only so many superlatives that we can throw out here. They, they, they can only surprise us for so much more. Yeah. And they've got some interesting games, some difficult games and games that we thought were impossible for this team to win just a couple of months ago that now look a bit more winnable. Hello chiefs. Hello Broncos. Hello. Other games like that. And the schedule coming up. So uh, I don't know. And they've got, they've got the Browns coming up after the jets. And then of course the bye, and then the, uh, a, a suddenly just intriguing matchup against the Raiders there. But, you know, of course, first things first, they got to handle the jets who are struggling. And we'll talk about that in just a second. We're going to get to our stat of the week and a, a kind of a slash state your case based on just one player. We ended that segment with in Jamar Chase in one second before we do John we got to tell the folks about our partnership with Symbol in case they did not hear last week there is a new incentive for our listeners should they use the promo code OBI and sign up with Symbol S-I-M-B-U-L-L of course and then the web address S-I-M-B-U-L-L.app backslash OBI that is where you can invest in teams and play a sports kind of arena like it's the stock market. So if you play the actual stock market, if you invest there, if you play fantasy football, if you play survival football, you got to get involved in Symbol, particularly with the incentive they have for our listeners using the promo code OBI. John, what is that incentive that they can take advantage of? So if you're like me, and you're kind of a little 
conservative with your money in terms of betting and gambling and investment and, and that kind of things. You don't want to put yourself out there that much because of of the fear of of unfortunately losing out and being wrong. Unfortunately, it's happened to me more times than than the alternative. So Symbol has a, has a solution for this. At first, they were like, okay, if you put in a hundred dollars into the Symbol market, you can invest that in however you would like. But if you don't like it, if you don't like the market, you can take that out with no risk to you. Risk-free $100 first free deposit. Then they're like, you know what? $100 is nice. You know what's nicer? $500. That's right. If you go to symbol.app backslash OBI and use the promo code OBI, you can make a first deposit of up to $500. Do whatever you want in the symbol market. Invest in the Sim Bengals. Invest in the Sim Alabama football team. Invest in the Sim Cavaliers if you're really into that. If you think they're they're going to be good for in some way shape or form you can do whatever you want in the sim in the symbol market up to 500 dollars of your first deposit and if you still don't like what you're seeing if you're not getting the profits in the in the revenue stream that, you, that you're desiring if you just don't like the concept after trying it out you can take those 500 out at no risk to you up to 90 days 500 risk-free first deposit for anyone who uses the promo code obi when you go to symbol.app that's s-i-m-b-u-l-l dot a-p-p backslash obi Get in on this because there's literally no risk. There's no reason as to why you shouldn't. Link is in the live chat for those who are tuning in live and or for those who may be watching in one of the streams after the fact. And of course, it's all on our post on Cincy Jungle as well. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Let's get to our stat of the week, John. So this Jamar Chase guy, he's pretty good, huh? Kind of. <laughs> Everyone knows now he's up to 754 yards receiving. It's the it's the most for a rookie receiver or just a, any receiver in his first seven games. It's 133 more than the guy who came before him who held that record, Anquan Bolden, a guy that he was also compared to for some reason uh, before in, in draft season. He is also like the first guy to have at least 50 yards in his first seven games. There are many ways to quantify the start that Jamar Chase is having, not just the the sheer magnitude of it, but also the consistency. But I was curious. I wanted to try to quantify it in ways that someone hasn't done before. So I went to the the databases of Pro Football Focus to try to get some um, context uh, of this miraculous start. And they had this whole table system where you can sort by different metrics and statistics next to each other. 
there are three statistics that are listed next to each other in the receiver database. It is yards after catch per reception, yards per route run, and average depth of target. Now, most people know that Jamar Chase is behind Cooper Cup in total receiving yards, but Cooper Cup also has like 30 more targets. When it comes to just yards per route run, so just basically receiving snaps, Chase leads Cooper Cup um, by about uh, half a yard, I want to say, or something like that. So Chase is leading the entire NFL in yards per route run with 3.35 yards per route run. Cooper Cup is at 3.3, so less than half a yard or something like that. That's not the crazy part, though. Chase is second in the league in yards after catch per reception with seven and 7.8. He's also second in the league in average depth of target with 16.5. Now on the surface, you hear that and you're like, okay, that makes sense. You know, we've, we've seen Chase knock off some huge plays like the 82 yard reception against the Ravens. We didn't even bring up like that was basically all after the catch, including like three missed tackles. So yeah, he's gotten some yards after catch. He's also been a fiend on deep balls. He's been heavily featured in that part of the Bengals offense. Joe Burrow likes to sling it deep to Jamar Chase. So yeah, that makes sense why his average depth of target would be up there. But to be basically leading the NFL in both of these stats is actually clinically insane. It doesn't make <laughs> sense. These two stats, they, they typically they cannibalize each other, which is what a Cincy Jungle reader amazingly described it as when I put it in the rookie report. I'm very jealous that, that I didn't use that terminology myself, but <laughs> guys don't lead this both of these categories at the same time. It doesn't make any sense because if you're getting a lot of yards after receptions, odds are you're, you're getting a lot of targets close to the line of scrimmage where you're able to be put in positions to gain yards after the catch. If you're being targeted deep down the field, odds are you're catching balls, you're getting out of bounds or you're in the end zone. You don't have that much room to run and gain yards after catch. For Chase to be second in the league in both of these stats, it's so freaking rare that I, I I don't even think we even appreciate what Jamar Chase is doing until we realize that he's doing both of these things at the quite literal highest level. And just for context, the only other receiver who's ever gotten close to this level of production for, with these two metrics in the first seven weeks was 2018 Tyreek Hill when he was, I think, fourth in both of these stats while also being third in yards per outrun. And if you need a reminder, Tyreek Hill finished that 2018 season with like 1,400 receiving yards and 12 touchdowns. Pretty decent year for him. It doesn't make sense what Jamar Chase is doing, essentially. It's it's laughable at this point because he's dominant in every single phase that you want a receiver to be dominant in. There is nothing that he's not that he's been bad at. Obviously, there hasn't been any drops. He's done everything well that he's done well at the college level and to be at the top of the leaderboard in these two stats that typically counteract each other, it's just another testament of how insanely and hilariously dominant he is for just a 21-year-old rookie. To play into and add to those two mind-boggling stats um, that, that you were talking about there, playing into the depth of target and whatnot, you know, a lot was made when Chase was coming into the NFL with his big playability, how would that translate? Obviously working with Burrow, that would translate all that kind of stuff. Um, but a lot of people felt kind of to your depth of target analysis that you were talking about. Um, a lot of people felt that there may be kind of more of the short area uh, and or, you know, shorter passes in the repertoire, intermediate passes in the repertoire. Some of that is taking place. However, 
Go back to his 2019 season at LSU, the outstanding one, the last time we saw him play football prior to joining the Bengals. In that year, 84 catches, 1780 yards, and of course, 20 touchdowns. What was the average? 21.2. Do you know what his average yard per catch is right now, John, for the Bengals through seven games? I I think it's right around that. 21.5. So (laughs) he is averaging three-tenths of a yard more at the pro level than what uh, per catch now through seven games, but still than what he did in that outstanding season at LSU. So just mine, you, you did far more research than I did in terms of those points of data. I found a little bit of a surface point of data, but all of that points to what you're talking about with the stat of the week. This guy is dominating. He is dominating in every factor. And it's not just, the taking of an 82-yard pass that was a slant all the way in breaking ta- tackles. It's not just the deep ball where he works magic feet on the sideline to get, and gets out of bounds. My favorite play, I, I, I love the 82-yarder. My favorite play from this last week, John, and it showed some of the best athleticism I think I have ever seen from a wide receiver in a long time Is that in terms of just pure athleticism is that kind of that crosser Uh, I think it was towards the end of the second quarter, if I'm not mistaken. The one he takes all the way across, outruns a lot of guys, and on his way out of bounds, he just happens to do a little hurdle and just and not touched, untouched. That play was unbelievable in terms of just raw athleticism and what he was able to do and the fact that he is so much younger than many of the Ravens defenders out there, he made him look silly. He made him just look absolutely silly. And not only on the one where he busted tackles and took it all the way, but the one I'm talking about where he went all the way across the field, gained a lot of yards, and just happened to just uh, casually hurdle a guy on the way out of bounds. Marlon Humphrey was trying to press him at the line on that play. He broke free of that press, and then he stacked Humphrey when he dug in towards the inside on that route. He caught it. It was like he wasn't facing any resistance at all. And when a receiver catches a ball over the middle with like 30 seconds to go with no timeouts before the half, you're thinking, okay, this guy's got to get down. They got to spike it or something like that. He 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 glided across the the width of the field like it was nothing. It, it was like the idea of John Ross in the Bengals offense, like the, it was supposed to emulate what Tyreek Hill did and how Tyreek Hill looks when moving with the ball because it looks like he's just in another gear, in another stratosphere compared to every other other defender. That's what it was like watching Jamar Chase on that play. You're thinking this guy's going to get tackled. Like, I don't know. What is he doing? He needs to get down. And then he just ran by everyone. And unfortunately, the guys had angles on him, so he couldn't turn up field. But to, for him to catch the ball, like on the outside of the left numbers and then end up out of bounds while gaining like an additional 15 side. yards <laughs> on the opposite side of the field with Marlon Humphrey, all pro Marlon Humphrey on your tail. Like the, the, the dude is saucing guys and he's 21. It doesn't make any sense. It's it's silly. And we, we've all talked about some of the milestones he has reached in terms of, um, you know, guys he has, you know, names like Marvin Harrison and Randy Moss in terms of, uh, who he has beat out both as a rookie in their respective rookie years. And also I think one of the stats, I can't remember exactly specifically which one, but he was beating out Marvin Harrison um, in the middle of Marvin Harrison's career with Peyton Manning, um, putting up kind of numbers that are rivaling those types of players. So this, what we're seeing is insane. And I, I mean, really through seven games, it's, it's the best performance 
we've seen from a, a Bengals wide receiver, definitely. And that is saying something because if you go back to AJ Green's rookie year, that was spectacular. And what we're seeing now is a, a guy who is dominating. And to your points with the stats of the week that you, you brought up, he is dominating in various fashions. He's not just taking the deep ball. He is not just taking, you know, a possession type of role. He is, he's doing it all. He's doing it all. And that I think John is a good segue for a little bit of a, a state your case. I think we're going to still be on the same, maybe the same page here. I don't know, but we've got a question and it's a state your case. We will get to that now as we talk a little bit more Jamar Chase. We got to get you a stat of the week graphic there too. We got to we got to get that one going for you. Come on, producers, we got to get that going for you. Anyway, uh, look, all of this taught you. You had mentioned that you had some stats of the week for Jamar Chase that you wanted to share, and just thinking more about him, his dominance, etc. Uh, we don't have to belabor this a ton because we do have to get to the preview for the Jets in just a second. But I, I a thought just kind of popped in my mind, and it's not to slight anybody it's not to slight jamar chase or anything like that but it goes back to the whole one of the whole main arguments for jamar chase joining the Bengals, and that is who the quarterback is for the cincinnati Bengals and the rapport that they had in 2019 i mentioned some of those stats just a minute ago and how that could potentially translate as pros despite chase being out of football last year I guess it's just it's kind of a, just a fun point of conversation. We're gushing about Jamar Chase, his skills, etc. Do you think that his skills would translate across the board in the NFL and he would be having a very similar or the type of year that he is having or is that rapport with Joe Burrow one of the driving or if not the driving factor for the amount of success that we're seeing from Jamar Chase. Joe Burrow does not make Jamar Chase talented. He does not make him have the attributes that made him the fifth overall pick. Like Jamar Chase would still be a four, three, eight guy with an insane vertical with like just an unbelievable gliding ability and power ability with the ball in his hand. With that being said, there is something to be said about what Joe Burrow said after the game or at, uh, earlier this week in press conferences. You know, he was asked about like the back shoulders that we saw against Baltimore and Burrow said, well, that doesn't happen when you just walk in, into the door with a brand new receiver and a brand new quarterback. Like that takes, that takes reps, that takes time, that takes chemistry. And it's very clear that they have that at the same time. Some of the things that you're seeing with chase as long as the quarterback is just getting him the ball, like he is still producing at least near this level. It, it's it's very much both. It, it's it's Jamar Chase being this supremely talented receiver while also playing with a quarterback that he's been had the pleasure of having well over a thousand balls in game and at practice in the last three or four years combined. And there was always this this shadow of, of a doubt regarding regarding AJ Green is his quarterback holding him back is his is he propping up his quarterback in his ability what is the dichotomy with both of those guys interacting with each other and producing with each other 
both of these guys are making each other better. They're enhancing their talents because neither one is holding them back. Jamar, Joe Burrow obviously throws a ball that Jamar Chase is very comfortable with and the timing is there. But Jamar Chase, he's still really fast. He's still really quick. He's still really explosive. It, it's hard to imagine him not being successful with just another quarterback who was similar in terms of arm talent with Joe Burrow, which is the one thing that you can say that Joe Burrow isn't quite elite at compared to his other his other attributes. But at the same time, like this, the, the chemistry that they have is undeniable, and you can't dismiss that from the equation. Yeah, so I guess my short answer to it would be, you know, I I do think that I, I do think that being in the so-called optimum situation with Joe Burrow, the quarterback he played with in college, does make it probably a situation where he is putting up more stats than usual. And there is, there is one play last week against Baltimore where, and and Brian Baldinger on Twitter broke it down nicely, but there is a back shoulder throw that netted. I can't remember exactly how much 20 some odd yards, I believe a back shoulder throw where the ball was in the air before chase was even looking at it. And the ball was perfectly placed by Joe Burrow. And that's just the type of chemistry and the type of confidence and the type of reliance or reliability, I guess that has been built up in this relationship between these guys. And you just know, they know what they're getting from each other. They know what to expect in terms of depth of routes, cutting, getting out of routes, timing of passes, speed of passes, the whole thing, right? So I I think all of that plays into an optimum situation for Jamar Chase where he can be maybe a little statistically more productive than he would be in many, if not every other NFL team. But I think the point remains that, like you said, I think the point remains that he is a, a special talent. He is a special talent and he probably would excel in a lot of different places but this is this is the place that it matters the most. And I think if you go back, it's funny you mentioned A.J. Green and the quarterback holding him back and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, there was a slight overlap with, I believe, with Matthew Stafford and, and A.J. Green. I mean, could you imagine if A.J. Green had Matthew Stafford as his quarterback <laughs> in the pros and what – I mean, granted, Matthew Stafford hasn't been the pinnacle of postseason success either. But in terms of stats and arm and all that kind of stuff, you know, if you kind of imagine that duo being able to team up early in AJ Green's career, you'd be like, "Holy moly!" Uh, Stafford got a good one on his own with with, with Megatron there, but um, still, I, I, again, I think this is the optimum situation for Jamar Chase to be productive. But I do think that he would be close to as productive somewhere else. But it, it, this relationship is just taking it to the next level. Well, here's another angle with this because we the royal we the collective we we dragged jamar chase for a month for not being able to catch a ball in the preseason and training camp that was that was what everyone couldn't stop talking about Mm -hmm. some guy i won't mention his name he proclaimed he should be in the xfl like Mm -hmm. in in another situation with another quarterback with another team with with another environment does jamar chase get this many opportunities to prove his doubters wrong the joe burrow factor i don't think we emphasized enough which is ironic because that's a lot of what we talked about when he was drafted when he was brought in with chase going through those rookie struggles which seem like just ancient memories at this point 
he still had his quarterback that he dominated the college football world with two years ago to back him up and to just keep throwing him the ball, to keep allowing him to get better. And I think that I think that matters because Jamar Chase probably goes through those goes through those struggles that he had in August, regardless of where he is. But only here does he have his best friend throwing him the ball and having all the confidence in the world to make it work. And just like we 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 have to do something about training camp and preseason discourse and talk. I don't know if we're gonna be in if we're gonna be able to be employed without doing some of this stuff. But just think about what we were talking about in August and look at where we are now. Imagine with the offseason that T. Higgins was having, the, the training camp and the preseason that he was having. Imagine saying after seven weeks that T. Higgins and C.J. Uzoma would have the same exact receiving yards and this offense is still one of the top best 10 in the league. You wouldn't be able to believe it because of what C.J. Uzoma was doing, because of what the ex- expectations for him were. We haven't seen the best of T. Higgins because Joe Burrow, just he just trusts Jamar Chase. And it, regardless of what he was doing before the season began, I don't think either of them wavered in their ability to rekindle that connection. And I think that does matter. And it probably matters more compared to if Chase ended up somewhere else. Yeah. And look at, look at, again, look at the timing patterns, look at the, um, the, the short passes where they're placed. Um, and I, I go back and even, you go back to that interception, even that Joe Burrow threw, which was maddening. And while it was a bad decision, I think it also shows the not only the amount of trust he has in his own ability as a quarterback, but also the amount of trust he has in Chase. And guys like Higgins and stuff as well, but just the fact that – and it plays into this whole confidence factor we talked about just, just a little while ago that I'm confident in my guys. I'm confident my guys are going to come down with, with these passes, even if I throw one that's not going to be looking great coming out of my arm. Uh I, I truly believe, I mean, I, maybe Burrow tried to get that one out of bounds and he just didn't put enough, enough oomph on it. But I, I really think he was trying to make uh, allow Chase to make a play on it because he has that, that amount of confidence in, in him. It was a heat check, 100%. Everything was clicking. Might as well just throw it up, see what happens. Right, right, <laughs> right. exactly. Exactly. Well, that's this week's State Your Case. Just a ton of Jamar Chase talk, obviously, because the guys lighten it up. The Bengals are five and two, and big reasons for that are are the uh, is is the chemistry between Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. There's no doubt about it. We've got a little time left, and we are going to preview the game against the Jets. Kind of a a letdown of a contest on paper, based on what game was presented to us last week. Before we get to kind of X's and O's and stuff, John, some news with the New York Jets. They made a trade for Joe Flacco um, with with the Eagles. So Joe Flacco is coming back. I do it, it, I, I don't believe he's eligible to play. Correct? Um, is that regardless? I Mike White's getting the start. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think Flacco can play in this game because of COVID protocols, regardless yeah. of vaccination status. What was interesting is that he's not even going to be in New York until Friday. So it would have to be some type of quit in Spain situation where quit in Spain played off like just being in Cincinnati for 36 hours last year. But yeah, there's just no way that even if he played with them last year, there's no way he'd be able to catch up to speed anyways. Yeah, so Mike White is getting the start for the Jets. 
White was with the Cowboys previously. I think he was like a day three pick a few years ago by them, kind of bounced around the league a little bit. So he is getting the start. Old friend Josh Johnson is also on the roster. Um, So if White struggles, perhaps we'll see Josh Johnson. I don't know, but we kind of tee off the preview here against the Jets with this because – uh, Zach Wilson out with a knee, knee ligament sprain for the next basically two to four weeks, I think. So he will not be available by the Jets. Would have made for a little bit more of an intriguing matchup between uh, 2020 number one overall pick and and one of the top picks in this year's draft, but not the case. Is, is it the difference between the Bengals and the Jets in terms of just media perception where, I mean, Joe Burrow, obviously his injury was just much worse, but Zach Wilson being thrown out to the Wolves behind an offensive line that did have some investment attached to it. Mackay Becton and uh, God, the, the USC guard, is his name is escaping me at, at the moment. Elijah Vera Tucker. So they, they oh, invested yeah. pieces on, along the offensive line, but at the end of the day, that's still your first-round pick, second overall pick at quarterback, getting hurt with a knee injury in the midst of his rookie season after taking a bunch of hits. But no one really seems to be talking about that. They just more are just lamenting on the fact that they traded – a, an actual real life draft pick for a quarterback that they let go in the offseason. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty unbelievable. You see, uh, Rich Samini, a tweet from him there who covers the Jets. The Flacco situation is perplexing. Trade a draft pick for an immediate backup help, yet he won't show up until Friday and may not be active on Sunday. So, it kind of plays into what you were talking about. Um, given the, the protocols and whatnot. And of course you'd see at the bottom here, and this is on cincyjungle.com 40, 40, 44.7 pro football focus grade from white. So uh, not on paper seeming to be a threatening type of matchup. We'll talk uh, some matchups and stuff in one more second before we do, let's get a look at the team's injury report again on cincyjungle.com. Cincinnati's looking pretty healthy Aside from, you know, I think it was Cam Sample who left the game last uh, last week. Chris Evans was was active last week but did not get a lot of playing time. Uh, Samaj P. Ryan stepped up nicely, but he is still nursing that hamstring injury, John. Yeah, if you want to look at the context and the difference between injuries with this team, if you look at who is playing on defense for the Jets and who has played 50% of their snaps – only seven players for the Jets have played 50% of the team's total snaps. They are dealing with a lot of injuries, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. You have starter um, Ashton Davis at safety. He is currently nursing a shoulder injury. Uh, linebacker CJ Mosley, old nemesis of the Bengals. He is nursing a hamstring injury. You have Tevin Coleman out with a hamstring as well. Uh, Quincy Williams, one of their starting linebackers. He's in the concussion protocol right now they're just a mess, but it's also the opposite for the Bengals, which I don't know if we're afraid to talk about it because we don't want to jinx the the luck kind of reversing, but only two players right now on season ending injured reserve and only four players for them listed on the injury report. And I guess the one to monitor is Chris Evans who practiced last week with a hamstring, but Zach Taylor said after the game or on Monday that the hamstring was giving him um, issues during the game. That's why he didn't take any snaps on offense, even when, the game entered garbage time. So Chris Evans only played special teams last week because his hamstring was nagging him. So I think they're just monitoring him uh, this week and just giving him some time off like they gave Joe Mixon some time off with his ankle injury earlier in the year. 
Trey Hopkins getting that that rest day that he usually gets, it would seem, um, resting that knee, coming off of his best pass-blocking performance, at least per pro football focus, was upwards of almost an 80 score in pass-blocking grade this past week, I believe. So um, I, I don't think there's anything super alarming there. It's kind of been the, the protocol with him week to week. Hendrickson, I think, was on the injury report last week with the shoulder yes. thing. Uh, yeah, so and he remains on there this week as well, but still had an excellent game against Baltimore. And uh, Carmen seeming to be back on the men full practice as of Wednesday. And beyond the COVID slash uh, food poisoning <laughs> or, or whatever <laughs> issue happening in Detroit there. So, yeah, a bit of a disparity in terms of the injury report. That's as of Wednesday evening as we are recording there. So um, all of that being said, John, all of this has a making of kind of what we saw a couple of weeks ago in Detroit where the Bengals, um, yeah, they got, you know, things were a little tight early, but they ended up running, running away with things. And if you look on paper, the talent disparity especially in in the wake of injuries and and the quarterback issues and whatnot, the talent disparity seems to be obvious. Like it was against the Lions, man. It, just like it was against the Jaguars. It was crazy this past week to see so many blowouts in the NFL, but it's hard to imagine this game doesn't end in that exact result. Um, I think the spread is still only 10 or 10 and a half points. It started off like seven or eight. And it's only gotten uh, worse for the Jets since then. So, you know, I'm not a betting man, but I would be hard pressed to believe that they don't end up covering that. The Bengals do. It just there's no excuse, even on the road, to be anywhere close with a Mike White offense and a defense that, albeit blitzes a lot, very aggressive, and they have some guys who can get after the quarterback. But there's no excuse just like it was against the Lions. And we've already seen this team prove that they can put away bad teams and just flat out unleash their dominance when they really want to. The very end of a three-game road uh, stretch in the middle of the season to increase a lead in the AFC North, there's no reason why they shouldn't in this game. We're, we're talking Bengals at Jets week eight as we start to close things up here on the Orange and Black Insider. We've got a lot of live listeners on a variety of different platforms wherein we stream live. So happy to have all of you with us. Thanks for tuning in. Um, here's the deal. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, and, and it's centered around the argument of the Ravens game and going into that game. Now the Bengals are coming off of a big win and additionally, their third straight road game, this is one of those games where teams sometimes sleepwalk through these things. Do you see this as a trap game? The Bengals are saying and doing the right things in, in that they're not going to allow whatever to happen uh, for, for that to happen this week. But I don't know. What do you – what do you make of the trap game element? I guess I've just been watching this team too long that, that I get so <laughs> cynical about some of this stuff. I don't know. What do you, what do you, what do you think about that whole thing based on what we saw last week, where this team is and all of that? Well, I, I think it's that for starters. Like there is a difference between how observers, fans, analysts, reporters who cover the team feel about getting 
too high or thinking too highly of the team when usually they end up letting them down because of past trauma and stuff like that. But there's a difference between that and how the team actually handles it. Like Jake Lisko was just talking about this on Twitter. Like he's not comfortable personally with dealing with all of the newfound hype and praise that's coming in for the team because more times than not, well, first of all, it's rare for this team. And second of all, whenever it does come, it usually is followed by the other shoe dropping. There, There is no other shoe here because the other shoe is usually propped up by guys who are unprepared or don't have confidence in their ability or just overperforming based off of what they are. That's not the case here. It, it's just not like this team. It can be better. And until they are better, they are, they're not going to get the true respect compared to the other true favors, favorites and dominant powerhouses in this league. But they are playing up to their ability and they are walking the walk and talking the talk. There's no real need to worry about this team buying into their own hype. And I think that leads into this other point. Um, the Ringer podcast was talking about the Kansas City Chiefs and how they're running into a problem that Tom Brady encountered or at least noticed early in his career. When Brady won those first couple Super Bowls with the Patriots, he talked about or he mentioned like it was it was almost too easy for them. He kind of like just walked into the situation and success just found them, right? And they didn't have to go through a lot of adversity. And that was similar to what the Chiefs are going through right now. Like Patrick Mahomes, as soon as he took over that Chiefs offense, everything clicked. They they went to the AFC Championship game the first year. They went to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl the second year. And then as soon as things started to go bad, now they're in a funk that they can't seem to get out of because they haven't experienced this type of adversity yet. But I think it's the opposite for teams like the Bengals who have gone through the mud, who have been dragged through the mud, not only with their own losses, but with the, the whole perception and the media dragging on them as well. They know what it's like to let down. They know what it's like to underperform and be at the bottom of the barrel and go through these struggles. But now they're overcoming those, those very same things. And now they're playing up to their ability. They know what it's like to let down and underperform based off of what your abilities are. And I think it's a different mentality when you're finally playing to what you believe that you can play because you've seen the other side and you know that they can change so quickly because of things that you can't control. So I don't think that trap games necessarily apply to teams like the Bengals who are coming off of two very bad years and really five very underwhelming years. And now they're finally hitting their stride. The Bengals have had two theoretical trap games this year already. The Jacksonville game on Thursday night where we were pretty upset about how things were going up until halftime. And then, of course, you had the game against the Lions where the Bengals ran away with that. Now you've got another one here. Uh, you know, I'll I'll say this. They, they handled the business against Jacksonville and Detroit. And they also, um, you know, they, they rebounded well from a game that now you look back on it and they really should have won against Chicago. Um, so they've rebounded well in a lot of regards. And, and now on top of that, you are aside from that Jacksonville game kind of being sandwiched in between that there, you have a decisive win against Pittsburgh. You have the win against Jacksonville. Um, you have that tough loss with green Bay, but a lot of folks didn't peg them to win that game. And then of course you have the, now you've got them playing arguably their best football with, almost a win against that Green Bay team. You have a decisive win against the Detroit Lions and you have another decisive win in Baltimore. So I, I don't, seeing as how they've avoided the falling into the trap game twice already this year, at least for the most part, um, I, I don't really see it happening. But 
again, there, there are some of the elements that, that become talking points, three straight road games. You just came off of this big win. You're the national media darlings for the week. Um, I don't know. I, I just, like I said, I think maybe I've just watched too much Bengals football over the years. <laughs> I, I don't even think a bad Bengals team in the nineties loses to Mike white. Honestly, like when you have Joe Burrow out there and the, the other team has Mike white at quarterback, some things are just too simple to really overthink. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into, uh, let's talk about a couple players you're watching this week, as well as a, uh, a prediction. And then we'll drop the mic and get on out of here. If you are good with that, my friend. Yeah, man, I think to the jets credit, they're not the lions in terms of just playing extremely hard for being really bad. But I think Robert Sala has established some respect with that, uh, within that building with his players it's just a matter of just they're just not very good much like the lions and i guess the texans for that matter the one thing that that the jets like to do well they have a couple good pass rushers specifically jonathan franklin uh myers or myers franklin or franklin myers excuse me who just got paid i believe a couple weeks ago so he's by far their best pass rusher best defense player in general at least best one who's healthy right now and they really like to blitz um specifically on third down and just in general they're a very blitz happy team but that coincides with the success that the Bengals have against the Blitz. And we saw that a lot against Baltimore. Baltimore brought the house against Joe Burrow a lot of times, hit Joe Burrow a lot of times, and was as productive as he's been all season in those specific plays. So I, I'm curious to see if the Jets try to change, th- change things up. I don't know how much they can change ba- based off of just their lack of personnel. I think they're going to try to do what they've been trying to do for the last seven weeks now. I don't know how much success it's going to have, but they, they, they do have a couple of guys that can shed blocks and win one-on-one matchups. They still have Quentin Williams, who is a third overall pick from mm-hmm. a couple of years ago at defensive tackle. He is not having the best of years, but I think he still has like 20 or so pressures and, and a handful of stacks this year. So there are some matchups on the Jets defensive line that could give the Bengals offensive line trouble. And I guess we always kind of come back to the Bengals offensive line because Literally every other part of this team is clicking on all cylinders, and there's still a handful of moments here and there when the Bengals offense line kind of leaves you a little bit more left to be desired. So when you have this kind of matchup disparity that we see between these two teams, you, aside from going where my negative mind goes and goes to trap game, you also go to a get-right game, a statistical padding game, that sort of thing. So in that regard... Yeah, I'll be looking at the offensive line and how they perform as well. But I'd like to see some things from guys we talked about struggling a little bit. I don't want to say struggling. That's not the right word. But uh, who have been a little more quiet than we had expected. And on offense, I would say that is T. Higgins. And on defense, I would say that that is Jesse Bates. This seems like a, a patented game to pad the stats, turn things around, and kind of make it a confidence builder not that those guys are lacking confidence per se, but just to get them kind of back on track from where I guess expectations were for both of those guys with a Mike White playing quarterback, the opportunity for passes to be sailed over wide receivers heads or misfired, any of that is likely. And, you know, the, the opportunity for T Higgins to make some plays on offense and, and get reintegrated into things. I think uh, I think this is a good week for that. So those are two guys I am looking at. What is your prediction for the, the game, John, in terms of a score? I don't know if the Bengals run up the score necessarily like they did against the Lions and Ravens, but 
I, I don't foresee them having a lot of struggles early in the game. Again, there's no reason why the Bengals defense doesn't completely suffocate Mike White's passing offense. I don't know who's going to be a running back for the Jets either. If Tevin Coleman is, is still out, I will have to look that up. But it's probably on me for not doing the appropriate research for the Jets, but it's the Jets, man. Like they don't deserve any of my respect. They don't deserve any of your respect. They don't deserve any respect from anyone listening to this program. And I just, I have no fear in saying that because there's just no way that they win this game. Like, I don't know if it's going to be this huge blowout, but I don't foresee the Bengals struggling early and I don't foresee the Jets making any sort of comeback unless Mike White is the second coming of freaking Tom Brady. Yeah, I I, I don't. I, I could see something like 26 to 26 to 10, 27, 13, something like that. I don't think there's going to be 40 plus points in this one. And, and quite honestly, one of the reasons why, and I hate to expect things this way, but I think we're probably going to see some of the backups from the Bengals for good reason in the second half where points may come a little bit more at a, at a premium. So I, I'm expecting a two possession win at least by this team. And uh, hopefully Hopefully we they, they see that through. So that is our prediction and breakdown for week eight against the Jets. Let's drop the mic and get out of here. John, what do you have for us? So I have an image or a tweet that I have. There we go on the screen. Uh, Jeff Ruby tweeted out that a lot of Bengals players uh, ate at the precinct, which is by far the best Jeff Ruby's establishment to go ahead and get a steak there. And I want to see if Anthony here can name every single Bengals player here because I was not able to with my first try. I was able, I had to do some research specifically for the guys on the right side. So Anthony, if you don't mind, try to list every single Bengals player that is at this table here. Okay. So I've got Kevin Huber on the left. Yep. Uh, I believe that's Tyler Boyd back there. I, I can, you can't really yes, see. Sir. Yeah. It's like half a face. I believe another half face. I think that's Joe Burrow back there. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'm, I know it's Drew Sample at the head of the table. Um, mm-hmm. That is Mason Shrek uh, wrapped around. I'm coming back to the guy in the in the white shirt with the with the flower over there in just a second. That's Mason Shrek, I believe, uh, next to the li- uh, lovely lady in the looks like a green shirt. In front of him, I believe that's Mitchell Wilcox. Um, Trent Taylor. With the backwards hat, CJ Uzama. I'm tr- I'm squinting to see what because uh, I'm. It's a smaller. Yeah, it's not really fair because his face is really small in this picture. Uh, is and I'm not looking at comments to try and not cheat. Um, is that uh, Brandon Allen back there? It is Brandon Allen. Okay. So um, I, I, I is Mason Shrek still on the team? I think he's on the practice squad. I honestly don't know that, but I'm pretty sure that's uh, um, Trenton Irwin who is holding uh, Mitchell Wilcox there. Okay. Okay. If, if I got the hair right. Um, but yeah, that is actually one better than I had. I had no idea actually what who what Mitchell Wilcox looked like. And honestly, I saw Trent Taylor's face and I'm like, oh, that's not a player. That's just, that's just <laughs> a friend of CJ Zoma. He, he, he's literally my size. Like, I, I, I don't look at him and I, see, I don't see a football player. I, I guess I see. A, a classic Patriots wide receiver, but yeah, that is Trent Taylor. So kudos to you for somehow getting his face. All right, let's let's look up Mason Shrek here. We got it. We got to do a. Uh, um, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna share something with you, and you tell me if it's oh, uh, some expert I am. If I'm if I'm right, let's see. Oh, this is like really small. Hang on one sec. Um, 
Okay, let's let's see if this is it. I'm gonna I'm gonna share this. So I'm gonna unshare yours real quick. And I am going to share this picture of Mason Shrek. And you tell me how close I got on this. Um, oh, that's not it. That's a bunch of pictures of Mason Shrek. Let me show you this one. Is that him? Oh my God, that 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 has to be him. Like I can I can I can see now his arms are the size of a tight end. They're not Trenton Irwin. Oh man, what man. happened there? What happened? What happened to me? <laughs> well, at any rate, I hey, it's fun fun trivia game. I like it. I like it. Um, Yikes! Well, I, yeah, I have not. I did not eat at the precinct. Unfortunately, when I was out there, I went to just the the standard Jeff Ruby's Steakhouse, which was still awesome. So next time I'm out there, I gotta I gotta do the precinct. Gotta do the precinct, but that's fun. That was uh that was good. I don't I don't have too much for my mic dropped except for the fact that uh you know about the jackpot Joey hats. You see Randall wearing one behind there. Uh those are courtesy of our friend Jeff Trenopole of Strawberry Ice and uh his show. I was on his show right before ours today, so go check that out. Great guy. And I want to share this. I'll put this link. It hasn't premiered yet, but a good uh, a good friend of the show um, has a YouTube video, um, Mr. Misery. He's, we've played it every once in a while on some of our clips and whatnot. Um, so that is – I put the link in the live chat for all of you there. It premieres – he's got a music video for it. It is – um, up there, it is from our friend Jason Von Stein. So look in the live chats there. Uh, a, a big supporter of the show. And if if you know anything about our show, we like to bring some of our listeners and other uh, people from other shows, obviously, and everything to kind of support what everybody's doing there, especially in the Bengals community. Jason Von Stein has been a longtime supporter of this program, sent us music in the past and all kinds of stuff. So want to support what he's doing there. And he also helped highlight uh, a charity that I run in, in the memory of my sister. So um, God can't thank him enough and, and go check out his music video. He asked that we please share it. And I would, I was happy to do so. So go check that out. It premieres on October 30th, kind of a Halloween themed thing as I uh, am, am told. So uh, yeah. Thanks Jason for sharing that. He's also, I think he, did he draw that picture of you behind, behind Randall there too, John? So he did not draw that. That was drawn by a puppet named Daddio. But we, oh. we do have that that file on, on here, and I'll, I'll try to get that up here before the show ends. Yeah. Well, uh, that is just about going to do it for us. Again, if you are new to this program, you can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major audio platforms. Click and subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. And you can get our show as well as Orange is the New Black from Ace and Zim and Coach Speak and Chalk Talk from Matt Minnick. Here is the image, by the way, for those tuning in live. There's John and I, Jason drew that, and Randall. Randall makes an appearance. I love it. Uh, so this, he sent us those a little while back. Pretty cool. I've worn that hat. I just got a while. tan there. Yeah. yeah. I, Randall has tan there. I got I to gotta break out that hat again. Um, so subscribe leave us a review a rating if you could and of course you can always subscribe to our youtube channel and click the bell to be notified when we go live john let's hope the Bengals cruise 
to a nice victory on Halloween. You got any big Halloween plans, man? Uh, yeah, I'm going out to um a bar downtown for they're having like a little Halloween party. I'm going out with some friends. Um, but yeah, it should be should be nice. Um, they 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 always play on Halloween. I feel like they always play right around Halloween, so I I can never go too crazy the Saturday night before the game. But one day we'll get a buy on on, on that week. Just yeah, this year. Yeah, yeah. You got a costume? Uh, to to be determined. Yeah, really, really last minute minute that um that whole process. <laughs> yeah, I I'm kind of in the same boat. Unfortunately, I, I am in a different phase of life. Usually, that oh my gosh, that sounds so fun to go out and do that. But now I am in the kids go trick or treating phase of life now. So figuring all that logistical stuff out with that. But have a great Halloween. Be safe. Have fun as as with all of our listeners there and uh let's hope the Bengals cruise to a, a good win dude take it easy everybody have a good halloween have a good week eight and we will see you next time